Family, it's such a joy and honor to be here today. Um, as Lance said, my name is Josue, and uh, I'm one of the elders here at the Grove. It's just a privilege to get to serve at that capacity. And today, to get to preach the good news of the gospel, um, to get to dig into Galatians on uh, something that is really just on repeat for Paul, and it's on repeat for us, and it should be. And that's the gospel. It's the good news that Christ loves us. That Christ loved us so much that he came to earth for us and he lived a perfect life. And that all the debt that we had, all the things that we did wrong, he would die for that. So that we would have a right position and a right standing before God. And that he would resurrect after he was crucified and that that power would ultimately bring us to life. And that that life would be something we would get to enjoy now here on earth but also for eternity. And that's the good news that we will uh, rediscover today, that we will revisit today, and that Paul ultimately has on repeat for the church in Galatians. And we'll discover some words that maybe if you're here for the first time, you're like, circumcision, what? Or I don't know about this. But it's okay, we'll get there. And we'll discover some other terminology that ultimately is reflective of us. These two terms that, that we find are freedom and slavery, that Paul would tell us this, that for freedom Christ has set us free. And so for the first couple of chapters in the book, Paul has laid out the message, has laid out the gospel, has said his validation of being the messenger, has told him who he is, spends two chapters ultimately developing a theological understanding of righteousness, what righteousness is and why it's important ultimately that we were made right before God, not by our own doing, but by the finished work of Christ. And here toward the end of the book, Paul begins to land in a more pastoral tone, in a more practical way, uh, begins to preach or begins to write these words to the Galatians so that they would be able to live out what he has been explaining to them. And so in light of that, I want to ask you from the get-go, probably one of the most pastoral questions I could ask you. And I really want you to be honest with your answer, okay? And, And I want you to be courageous enough to lift your hand when I ask this, if this is true of you, because I think ultimately this will reveal something about us. And so... As I ask this, just listen to the question. If this is you, please raise your hand. Um, How many of you have ever eaten a Taco Bell? Why? (laughs) Why would you do that to yourself? (laughs) And how many of you have eaten that Lupe tortilla? Mm. Yep. Now, Hear the difference in response, right? On the one side, we have Taco Bell, which is cheap, and you probably get two tacos for a dollar. And a few years ago, I read that they use grade E meat for their food, and dog food's grade F. So it's one <laughs> level above that. I'm not knocking on Taco Bell. It has its function. You're in a rush. You drive through Taco Bell, get your food, keep going. It's cheap. You get a lot of it. But it's just to basically survive. But when you go to Lupe right? You're not just surviving. You're going there for a very specific reason because you delight in those fajitas because they bring joy to your soul because you have tasted and seen that it is good. And so you no longer go to Lupe because you simply have to eat. And so you're talking around the house like, well, we have to eat. Where should we go? I guess we'll go to Lupe. No, no, no. When you say we're going to Lupe, you'll get a, mm, all right, let's go. 
And what Paul does for us today is differentiates these two things, these two spheres. One of four the basics for sustenance because we have to and it, it fills our stomachs. It almost feels the same. And then one over here where it is true delight in Christ, true delight in our relationship with him. And so it exposes our hearts. And today's title for this sermon is Freedom For or From. And I wanted to give you the application from up front of this sermon so that you can hear it, so that you can hear it multiple times today. You could take it with you, learn to use it, and apply it. Now, this question of for or from is not meant to be the end of it. It's simply meant to help us reveal in, in our behaviors what is driving what we are doing. Is it for basic needs? Is it for basic sustenance? Or is it from a beautiful delight of something we've experienced deeply in our relationship with Christ? And so when Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free, and I want you to say that out loud, for freedom, for freedom. Christ has set us free. That as you say that, that that would be engraved in your heart as you journey Monday through Saturday and not, are not here gathering with the saints, that you would take this. And so I think we have to understand what Paul is telling us. He's saying, for freedom Christ has set us free. That means that we were bound by something and he's freed us to something. And so I'm going to take just a little bit to unpack this for us because I believe this is important and it will help us understand the rest of today's text. And so... He's telling us we've been freed because we were bound. And this is going to come up on the stage, but Christ has moved you from being bound by something, and he's moved you to being freed to something. And I want you to look at this, and if you're taking notes, write this down. I can't fill in that blank for you, but what I can do is begin to hopefully develop an understanding of what are the things that are binding us and what are the things that we're free to. You see, there are these two spheres in this context, of the sphere of law, the sphere where we are bound by things that ultimately are external, that we're hoping to acquire or accomplish something based on these external things. And there's, there's this sphere of grace and freedom and Christ and love where we are truly free. And so we may be in this sphere... And what we may find ourselves being bound by is something we've been hearing through this book is that we are bound by empty religion and begrudging obedience that we have to do it, that these tasks have to get done. And Paul is fighting against this because the Galatians have come to Christ, have heard the gospel, and the Jews are telling them, well, in it, that's great. That's great. Christ has set you free, but you also have to add these other things to that. And so you have this checklist of things you need to do or you want to do. And so it becomes exhaustive. It becomes chaotic. It becomes heavy. This list becomes never-ending. And if you and I are truly being honest, there is an element to this checklist that is comforting for us. There's an element to this checklist that, well, I've done these tasks, and so I feel good about myself. I've done enough for God to be pleased with me. I've done enough for people to approve me. I've done enough for me to know that my identity is secure in Christ. And Paul's saying, no, my friends, no, family, this is not the way. We've been, this is binding. The law is binding. And guess what? The, the law is crushing. You will never do enough to make yourself right before God, for that's not the way God intended it to be. And so as you are standing here and you're running here, you realize that this is never ending, that this is taxing and exhausting. And so if I'm here and you see me doing this for like the next six hours, 
uh, you wouldn't look at me and say, oh, oh, man, he's running a marathon, right? Like, I'm up here running in place. Now, the average steps for a marathon are like 55 to 62,000. So I could stand here and run in place for 62,000 steps. And I don't think any of you would come up to me and give me a medal and say, man, good, well done, man. That was, you beat the record for that marathon. Why? Because I'm standing in place, and yet my body would be just as exhausted. I would feel just as tired, and I would realize at the end of this that I've done all this for nothing, that I've stood in place and simply exhausted myself. And this is what the law does to us. It confines us to four walls. It confines us to a system. It binds us into a checklist of certain way to do things, and we have to get them done because it's how it has to be. And we miss the freedom of truly running a marathon, of truly being out on the open road, of having the free, fresh air, of seeing all the sights around us as we run this long run because we are bound to working hard. Now, what happens is we do get tired here. And guess what? We also get tired here. You run a marathon or you run 60,000 steps in place, you're going to be tired at the end. But the difference is purpose. In this fear, we have no purpose outside of ourselves. And so we uh, find ourselves bound by religion, by begrudging obedience, and we find ourselves bound to ourselves. I find that in my journey as a Christian, the greatest grace God has given me, aside from bringing me to his saving grace, in that sanctification has been he has protected me from myself and from my own decisions. And we sang this today, that, that even the failures and mistakes that we've done, he's using for his glory when we submit to him and allow him to. But when we don't, we are enslaved to ourselves. We are enslaved to our desires, to our passions, to our wants, to the things that make us happy and remove temporal pain. We're bound to these things. And Christ is saying, you're eating Taco Bell. That's the best you give yourself as Taco Bell when I have these delicious fajitas for you. And even if you ate the whole menu at Taco Bell, you would never have the satisfaction of one bite of what it is to taste God's goodness. And so... Christ tells us, you've been set free from this. So why do we go back to this? And sometimes I think it's because we forget what we've been set free to. And we've been set free to truly believe that we are loved by God. That as you've journeyed as a believer, as you journey as a Christian, that maybe you begin to think, I don't know if God's really pleased with me or God really loves me anymore. I don't know that he's happy with me. And he's saying, well, it's not based on what you've done. It's based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. So yes, I am pleased with you. No, I do not regret saving you. No, I do not regret bringing you into the family because my satisfaction in you is found in my satisfaction in Christ. And so he frees us to be loved by God crazily in a way that doesn't make any sense. He frees us to love God in a way that's crazy and radical because, you see, this is the truth is that... Um, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we could bring anything to the table, but while we were still sinners, he died for us. And so the fear and the guilt and the shame and the things that we experience over here are ultimately cast out when we find our righteousness in Christ. Because it is not on our performance. It is on his performance. It is not on our duties. It is simply in our delight in Christ. And so he frees us to be loved by him. He frees us to love him Joyfully, fully. And this has been true since the Old Testament. 
I'm going to read over you Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. It's a verse that we hear a lot in our family discipleship, but I just want you to hear this, that from the beginning, this was the plan. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Grove Church. Hear, O people of Richmond. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your head. You shall teach them diligently to your children and, and, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorsteps of your house and uh, your gates. And what we see is that we're freed to love God in all of life, in every way. And so... As I was navigating this text this week, I'm thinking, how does this practically play out? One of the ways for me that's kind of easily, easily noticeable is when I'm in this realm, I am enslaved to success. I'm enslaved to success. I'm enslaved to perform. There's a part of me that wants to do all the right things. And when I'm over here in the realm and the sphere of delight in Christ and right relationship with Christ, I'm free to fail. Not to sin, but to fail, to take risks, to have great hopes, to have big dreams, to ask God for the impossible and work toward that in his spirit because I know that ultimately he is the one doing the things in this sphere. And so maybe you're in this side of the sphere. Maybe you are tired and maybe you are worn out, and maybe you feel like, Lord, I just, I've been doing all the things for you, and it doesn't feel like it's still enough. I still don't have the satisfaction in my soul and in my heart that I would like to have, and I feel like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna explode one of these days. Well, let me tell you this. You've been freed from that to remember and to know who your God is. In that same chapter of Deuteronomy 6, he says in verse 12, Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, he's brought us out, but we quick, quickly forget. And so when we're in slavery, what do we do? We do what the people of Israel have done. We look back. We look back to our time of slavery and we romanticize euphoric experiences. We romanticize how great things were. We forget how awful slavery actually was, how being bound actually is not a good thing. And so we romanticize these things because somehow along the way, it's easier to look back and say, man, that, those were good times. Those were really good times. But you know what we seldom do? We seldom romanticize the process. We seldom romanticize and see the work of God in our lives. But when we are standing here, we're free to remember and look back and say, man, that heartache I went through, that difficult season I went through, that time with my family, that time of sickness, that time of poverty, whatever that was, whatever I went through was worth it. Why? Because I have discovered a deeper, deeper love for Christ in that and that's what he frees us to, is to remember and to know that God's plans have a purpose, that everything you go through has a purpose, and all that brings you into the deeper love of Christ. And my brother and my sister, is that not worth it? That all the things that you would go through would bring you into a stronger relationship with Jesus, is that not worth it? That as you struggle with your kids every day to teach them the word, to teach them the gospel, and you feel like you're getting nowhere, that it's, not, that it's worth it because it's growing you as a disciple, it's growing you as a lover of Christ, and it's growing, as you grow in your love for Christ, you grow in your love 
well for your kids. And it is not in vain that one day we will see the fruit of this, but the fruit is not dependent upon you or upon me. It's dependent upon God. And so we can rest and we can trust that he will complete and fulfill his promises because it's not on us. It's up to him. And so we remember his goodness. We remember his, his provision. We remember all the things that he has done to move us to this place of freedom. And he's freed us to do the thing that we were created to do. And our church fathers would say this, that the thing we were created to do is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You see, at my deepest parts, in, my deepest, uh, in the deepest parts of my heart, what I want to do is make much of Jesus. Now, I don't often do this. I don't often do this very well. And thank goodness for God's grace. Uh, I got married about seven months ago now. And coming into marriage, uh, I was, I was, I probably still am, enslaved to this idea of success, right? I came in and I said, man, we're coming in, we're going to kill it. Like, our marriage is, is going to be so good. And it's been good. Don't get me wrong, but not quite how I thought it was going to be good. You know, I, I expected us to have daily prayer and daily devotion, devotionals that have daily uh, time where we're connecting over dinner and cooking together and, you know, going on walks hand in hand and, you know, just there's birds flying, there's daisies everywhere. Um, and uh, I know, I know. And, and in my mind, I thought, man, it's... God, we've journeyed so long as believers that this is going to be so good. And it has been, but in such a different way. Such a different way. It's been very sanctifying. It's been very revealing. And whereas over here, I would want to tell you, man, I've been the perfect husband. I uh, clean up after myself all the time. Uh, I close all of the doors, including the cabinets. I uh, don't criticize my wife's cooking as unhealthy. I wish I could tell you all these things, but uh, I'd be a liar if I told you that. And instead, Christ has freed me to glorify him and has freed me to fail has freed me to say I'm sorry more times than probably in my entire life. And has freed me to mean it many times and still work to mean it all the times. And so he's freed me to fail because now I get to love radically, madly, because he's loved me that way. And now I get to experience his love through the way I love my wife. And so he's freed me from being bound on the to-do lists, of being bound by fear and guilt. Those things enslave us. Fear and, and guilt are obligation. But here, in the sphere of love and the sphere of grace, we are lovers and we experience the deep parts of the love of Christ for us. And so he's freed me to do what, what, he, what he's created me to do, to glorify him and enjoy him. And so as I'm here, I get to celebrate the good things, the good times, the good conversations, the deeper conversations I have with my wife that ultimately point one another to Christ. That that's the greatest joy we could have. Not that we would walk hand in hand, you know, jumping and skipping through, uh, through the park, but that our greatest joy is that, man, we look at Christ and we say, he's forming himself in you and me, and he's using you as a vessel to be a blessing to me and me a vessel to be a blessing to you. And that's worth it. That as we labor as leaders and people let us down and people hurt us, we're freed from fear. 
We're free from obligation. We're free to say, Lord, this is difficult. I am exhausted, but it is worth it because it is creating a deeper love for you and me. And that, that's a hope I can hold on to. Otherwise, we're running in place. Otherwise, we're going to feel like we've run a marathon. And at the end, we're going to be in the same spot and wondering why. But the beautiful part about being exhausted, about ending in a place where you can't do it anymore, is that this is where Christ takes you from being bound by these things and shows you they all end in the same, same way, death. But if you would just come into the kingdom of the beloved son, you would find redemption, forgiveness for your sins. And so we finish half of one verse. <laughs> Five and a half more to go. <laughs> this is on purpose. We're, we're gonna, it's going to help us get through the rest of the text. I promise we're not going to take 20 minutes for half of the verse. So he says, because this is true, because we've been freed from being bound by religion, by, uh, by obedience that is begrudging, from ourselves, from the fear, from the greed, from the guilt, from the shame, from all these things, because it's true that we've been transferred over here to the kingdom of the beloved son, and we are free to love and to be loved by him, to love others, and to do what we were created to do, to glorify God and enjoy him. Then he says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. His command is twofold. He says, stand firm, and don't go back to a yoke of slavery. Why? Because this yoke is heavy. This is crushing. You will never be enough in this law. But over here, stand firm. And this is the irony of standing firm is that it's not in you to stand firm. It is the spirit working in you that allows you to stand firm. And we'll discover this here at the very end, but it is not up to us to stand firm. It is the spirit that empowers us to stand firm. And so he says, don't go back to the yoke of slavery. And this is the constant theme of remember and stand firm. We see it through all the scriptures. Stand firm because we quickly forget. And on my best days, I'm relating and engaging Christ in all of my life. And on my worst days, I have to be reminded, don't fall back to this yoke of enslavement to performance, to accomplish something, to have a heart of works, but instead have a heart of love. So, as you journey this week and you ask yourself for or from, are you on this side working for freedom? Are you looking to get out of a situation and so you're doing all the right things and you're asking God for all the things because you're working for freedom. You're working for change. You're working for good things in your life, but they don't seem to come. Or are you working from the freedom he's already given you? Are you working from the freedom that he's already placed over you to fail forward, to learn, to grow, to mature, and to fall in deeper love with him? Use that question as you navigate what you are doing this week. And this is an ongoing process for us that every day we would need to ask ourselves, am I doing this for or am I doing this from? Because every day there is this contending battle inside of us of the old versus the new, of the flesh versus the spirit of you as your own God in control or Christ as your Lord in control. And the only way this will ever be joyous to you is if you truly taste and see that the Lord is good. Otherwise, it will always feel like a hassle. It will always feel like a duty. It will always feel like something you cannot do. And if that's what it feels like, then maybe... Maybe we're more on this sphere than we are in the sphere of relating to God.
And so every day you must testify to yourself and preach the good news that you don't need to earn it, that he loves you. He's satisfied with you because of Christ. And you can trust that his plans are for good and that he will fulfill his purpose in what you are going through. So let's continue verse two. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace through love. And so Paul says, hey, look, let me keep it real. This is me. This is your boy, Paul. I, I got to tell you if, you, if you stay over here, I got to warn you that you have fallen away from the riches of Christ. And there's some very drastic and some very serious consequences to staying here. And he says, if you accept, this is your choice of accepting circumcision. Now, circumcision here is simply meant to reveal to us all the external things that we try to do to earn God's favor. And so don't, don't take that literally for us, but it's all the things that we do daily to try to earn favor, to try to have and, and manage a certain outcome. Because if our heart's motive is simply the end result and not a deeper love for Christ, then this is what he says happens. He says Christ will be of no advantage to you. So think of your favorite drink, whatever your favorite drink is. And you come over to my house and I say, hey, I, I got you your favorite drink. And I put it before you, and you're like, ah, oh, this is going to be good, right? And I come up to it, and I go, <laughs> you would be like, bro, what in the world, right? Um, and I dare say you probably would not drink that. If it's a 20-ounce glass, and my spit is one ounce, 5% of that, you would still not drink that. Why? Because it's been completely contaminated in your eyes and in your mind. And when we come to Christ and we say, Lord, your cross is amazing, it's sufficient, it's enough, but I also need to just read scripture every morning. I also need to talk to my kids every single day. I also need to help my husband be more patient every day, whatever that is. <laughs> You've nullified it all. And Christ is of no advantage to you because now you are in the position where you are trying to earn your salvation. So what do you need Christ for? What would you need him for if you can do it yourself? But this is the harsh reality is that we cannot do it for ourselves. And that's what Paul says. He says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Consequence number one. Consequence number two, you are obligated to keep the whole law. Obligated to keep. You're a debtor is the word to the whole law. So if you get pulled over by a cop for speeding and he says, hey, uh, you were going too fast. None of us would say, yeah, but I pay my taxes on time and my mortgage is all up to date and I treat my spouse very well. Like, none of us would say because we've broken one law, we will be fine for breaking the law. And yet we're trying to come to God and say, well, today I'm going to be very loving and very patient and maybe I'll lie a little bit, but look at all the great things I've done, right? Maybe, maybe I, and, and Paul tells us, no, if you're going to go this route, you got to do it all. You, you don't get to pick and choose what laws you obey. You have to completely fulfill the whole law. And so you're a debtor to the whole law. And what happens when you become a debtor to the law is that you lose the riches that you find in Christ. 
the beautiful riches that we're about to discover in Christ. You lose them all because now you're obligated to keep the whole law. And honestly, I think this is probably the worst of the consequences. The third one, you are cut off from Christ, fallen away from grace. There's a deeper theological implication here. What? Can we lose our salvation? Can we not? Were we ever believers to start with that we fall away from grace? For, you see, Paul's talking to the Galatians who are believers. He's called them brothers. And so we can assume that they are believers. But he's saying, you've fallen away from grace. You've been severed from Christ. Can you imagine what happens if you and I as a church live in a way that we're trying to accomplish all the good things, all the right things, all of the laws, we're trying to do them, but the head of the church is severed. We are a body walking around with no head. And what kind of impact do you think we would have to the world? If we show up to the world with no head, they're going to think we're crazy, right? This is metaphorically speaking. I don't think any of us could actually do that, right? Um... But that's ultimately what's happening is that as we're trying to do all of the things and Christ is not in it, it's just crazy because we're functioning as a church with no head and a body with no head dies. And I don't want that to be the case for us. Instead, I want us to be a church that has found its deepest joy and love in Christ. And so we are deeply connected to the head, not severed from it. Jesus would say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so let's not fall away. Let's not be people who are severed from Christ. But instead, let us be people that as we're about to discover, find our deepest joy and longing in him. So what's the solution to working it out, to working harder, to doing more, to being obligated to the law? It's simply this. It is grace. Nothing you can do, nothing you can do puts you right before God. It is simply his gift to you that he's already freely given to you, that you already have, and you, you act like you don't have it, and I act like I don't have it, and that's grace. It's just generously given to you and to me. And so to live by grace means to depend on God's abundance Abundant supply for every need to live by the law means to depend on my own strength, the flesh, and be left to give by without God's supply. Paul warns the Galatians that to submit to circumcision in these circumstances would rob them of all the benefits they have in Christ. And these are the benefits you have. Listen to this. We, you and I, now share in the riches of God's grace, the riches of his glory, the riches of his wisdom, the unsearchable riches of Christ. In Christ, we have all of the treasures that we could ever desire or want. Once a person is in Christ, he has all that he needs, needs to live the kind of Christian life God wants him to live. And so my brother and my sister, let us not be people who are robbed, who are debtors to the law. And so we lose our wealth that we have in Christ. But instead, let us be reminded of this wealth that we have in Christ. And so Paul continues and he says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now pay attention to the order. He says, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What some of us have done and what some of us do at times is we inverse this order. And so we take hope and things we hope for and we come before God and say, Lord, if, if you would just give me 
X, Y, or Z. If you, would, if you would just make my family a little bit less crazy. If you would just give me the promotion at work. If, if you would, and, and the things that we hope for, then we would believe. And I don't know that we consciously do this, but that's when we come to God with our hopes before we come with faith, we are very presumptuous in our approach to God. For we're saying, Lord, I demand this from you in order for me to believe. And God is saying, that is not how this works. Instead, it's reversed. Faith precedes everything. Faith is the basis for everything. Faith is the only solution to any of this, is that you would believe God says who he says he is in your life. And so when we have this faith, we come and we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What are you eagerly waiting for these days? Is it relief? Is it for things to calm down? Is it for things to, to change, for things to get better, for people to behave, for your family to, to be better, for you to find a, a nice house? What are the things you are eagerly waiting for? And just a good test for us as believers is, when's the last time we said, man, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, for Christ to return, because this brokenness is just overwhelming, and God is going to make all things right when he comes at the end. But the beauty is that this is not just a future reality. It's a present reality for us. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. If you highlight anything in your Bible today, highlight this. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. We can run in place all we want, and none of this that I would ever do running in place will ever produce love in me. It will produce fear and anxiety and exhaustion. It will produce all the things of the flesh that eventually lead me to say, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. But faith produces in us love and frees us from having a heart of works to a heart of love. You see, we all have a drive in our hearts when you wake up Monday, when you go to sleep on Monday, you have a drive. Your heart desires something that you are desperately pursuing, whether you realize it or not. And maybe that's success, and maybe that's promotion, maybe that's education, maybe whatever that is for you, your heart desires. And maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's being in the church. Maybe it's serving the king. Maybe it's serving in the kingdom. It's exercising your gifts. But when we find our righteousness in this heart of work, we see that the greatest joy we find is when we experience relief. It's when all of the people are acting right. It's when our kids finally go and clean up their rooms without us saying that, for them to do that. And all right, kick back, we enjoy. And if that's the climax, if that's the pinnacle of what you're hoping for, then we've missed it. We've missed what Christ has died for. For you see, in this, Christ has died for us to love him and love others well. The heart of love doesn't say, I just want things to end. I want things to be okay. I want Josue to stop preaching because this is going long. The heart of love says, man, we are making much of Christ. And so it's worth it. My suffering is bringing me to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so it's worth it. This strife and this struggle is difficult and overbearing, but I have a God that is much greater, and he's teaching me to believe him to be much greater. And so it's worth it. 
Because this is not eternal. The circumstance is not eternal, but our love for him and his love for us is eternal. And so I just want to end on a verse that I think um, sometimes we don't, we don't often think about. Um, and it's Paul pleading with God. 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, the thorn on his side, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My prayer for us, church, is that we would be a people that as we journey and go through all these difficult circumstances, that we would have perspective, that we would have an understanding of what God is doing and he's bringing us into a deeper relationship and to a deeper love with him. And what this will produce for us is a deeper love for him and a deeper love for others. And so maybe you've been wanting to share the gospel with a neighbor or with a friend and you've been hesitant and you don't know how to do it. Or maybe it's because you're relying on your own abilities and your own capacities. And God's saying, that's not enough. But if you truly delight in this, if you truly enjoy Christ, it will naturally come out of you. The same way that when I said Taco Bell, none of you said, mmm, delicious. <laughs> but when I said Lupe, mmm, there's more response to that than probably anything in my sermon, right? <laughs> that same way that whenever we say Jesus, that you would say, oh, he's so good to me. Oh, he loves me so much that I don't deserve it. And I have to tell you about it. I've been exhausted and I've tried and I've, and I've gone into some super dark places when trials and tribulations come of disbelief, of doubting, and sometimes wondering, Lord, where are you at? But oh, he has never failed me. He has sustained me and he's been with me through it all. And he's shown me from glory to glory how great he is. If this would be our motive for life, I can guarantee you that his work in your life will be fulfilled. His work in our church will be fulfilled. And that, yes, we will get tired, but we will learn to rest in his finished work. And he will continually mature us and bear fruit out of us that we cannot do on our own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you've brought us out of being bound out of a reality where we could not earn things on our own, and yet we try. And on our best days, we still try, Lord. But we're grateful that your grace is so sufficient that even in the days that we're trying really hard to earn and to do, you come and say, my child, I love you. Stop. Let me carry you. Let me bring you over into a deep relationship with me where I'm the one working and you're free to enjoy me and enjoy others. Father God, thank you that your grace has done that for us, has freed us to enjoy you and those around us, has freed us to enjoy the realities that we have and the riches that we have in Christ. And Lord, I just pray for us as disciples and as a church that we would not fall back to slavery, that we would not fall back to habits that enslave us, that we would not fall back to emotions like fear and guilt and greed that ultimately only bring out the worst in us and make much of us, but instead that you would be uh, so gracious as to provide the fruit of the Spirit in us and give us love and patience and hope 
that we would be generous, that we would be giving, that we would be risk takers, that we would be courageous, that we would not walk in a spirit of fear, but of power because that is what you have given us. And that we would take that and use it to love you more deeply, to love one another great in a greater way, and to serve your kingdom purpose in a way that we've just never seen before. Let us believe you for great things and let us die to ourselves and to being bound by the things of empty religion, of the flesh, and of this world. Father God, we loved you. And it is for freedom that you have set us free. Let us live in light of that reality. In your name we pray. Amen.